Discourse podcast, Creative Discourse, a newsletter that seeks to uncover the lost art and forgotten science of persuasion by thinking and acting creatively. I'm Michael Schaus, founder of Schaus Creative LLC and founder of Creative Discourse. I'm also a really big believer that creative thinking is not some innate quality that you either have or don't have. If if you don't feel like a creative person, you can still become more creative. I think it's something that can be nurtured. It can be cultivated. And I also think that it is something that is crucial to the kind of entrepreneurship that is necessary to work well and succeed in today's world. And with the way our world of work is currently changing, with Zoom calls, remote work, and a steady drip of other disruptive events, I think it's becoming even more important than ever to be entrepreneurial and to be creative. Unfortunately, we don't all work in environments that actually reward creative thinking or experimentation or divergent thinking or however you want to explain it. Um, That being said, with the way that our expectations are changing when it comes to work, everything from work to work from home to hybrid work and really just a better work-life balance, thank you millennials, by the way, Uh, I think there's a real opportunity for leaders and organizations to begin embracing and encouraging creative thinking within their teams and and really making, honestly, just thinking about work and the way that we approach work in a slightly different light, uh, especially if you were a leader or somebody that runs a portion of an organization. And that's why I'm really happy to introduce Meredith Turney. She's a leadership and life coach. She also has her own Substack, Work, Live, Be Happy, which are three things that we all try to do on a daily basis pretty well, I think. Um, and I certainly think of her as someone who is creative and has that entrepreneurial mindset. And she talks and writes at great length about what she calls conscientious leadership. And this is kind of in helping folks who are leaders encourage that kind of entrepreneurship within their teams. And it really encourages the type of creative environment I think that we are going to need to start thinking about when we're looking at, quote unquote, the future of work. So thank you, Meredith, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's so it's so fun to be with you, Michael. I'm looking forward to this conversation. There are some people who do what I consider working well, and that means that they kind of think a little bit creatively, they they approach things a little bit differently. And that's definitely one of the things that you do when you're talking about conscious leadership. Tell me a little bit about your Substack and what conscious leadership is so that way everybody kind of has a good starting point for a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So like you, I, I have a Substack and I started actually a few years ago, right before the pandemic started. Uh, I didn't know the pandemic was going to happen, <laughs> um, but I was in a coaching program and I said, I wanted to do a newsletter. And one of my fellow students in the program said, oh, you should check out this new thing called Substack. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said, it's kind of like a blog, but it's a newsletter. And so I signed up for it. And I think I started it in February or March of 2020. And when I started it, it was going to be about my coaching that I do. And then when the pandemic started, I realized, okay, a lot of people are are by force having to move into remote work. And I've been a remote worker for well over a decade. And so I thought, okay, for a while, I'm going to really focus on remote work because people need some skills and tips on how do I do this well? And I will say though that the pandemic was a very weird situation because we didn't have the support systems we usually have when you're doing remote work, like daycares were closed and family, you couldn't go be with family very much. So it was a very weird situation. So anyway, I focused on uh, remote work and transitioning to that for a while. And then after that passed and we started kind of settling in and entering into this new era of work, I really started focusing on conscious leadership because uh, that's really what I focus on with my coaching 
because I think, as you know, we really need a change in how we do things in the workplace. The old systems are no longer working for us. We've got to have a new way. So Conscious Leadership, you've probably seen, I actually have the book with me here. I always have it on my desk. Conscious Leadership by John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods. Have you read this? Or uh, Yeah, it's been, actually, you were the one that first suggested it to me. And, and I love the way that John Mackey thinks about things anyway. So it's a great book. Yeah, he's very, he's a, a bit of a divergent thinker too about business and food and everything. So he actually wrote a book about it a few years ago. I think it came out in 2020, actually, or 2021. But basically conscious leadership, I mean, the old models of leadership are very much command, control, authority, do as I say. Conscious leadership is more about thinking about all the stakeholders that are involved, not just the stockholders, but also who are you as a leader and being aware of your leadership style. Are you helping people? What's the impact that you have? And really being on a journey of self-discovery, learning about yourself and developing yourself as a human. And some leaders may think, oh, that sounds very like touchy-feely, like, why are you into that? But that really is when when you look at research at what people most value in leaders and companies or in politics or anywhere, it's the soft skills they look for. They're looking for empathy, for understanding, uh, for caring, which you may think that doesn't really help a business grow, but it actually does. People want to know you care about them and that you're actually invested in their growth. And that's really what conscious leadership is all about. All right. And, and conscious leadership is... One of those things, you don't just have to be a leader in order to kind of appreciate this or or start thinking about how you can apply it in your own personal life. I mean, yes, certainly I, I can absolutely see where the value is going to be. And we'll get to talking a little bit about remote work and what have you here shortly. But I can absolutely see the value if you are a leader right now trying to run a team that works hybrid or mostly from work. It, I, I can absolutely see how conscious leadership would help you flex their creative muscles and hopefully get more things done, especially given some of the deficiencies of remote work, which again, we'll talk about here in a little while. But this is something that really in, in most settings, this is kind of a mindset. If you approach your job with this kind of curiosity, this kind of ambition, this kind of passion, then you'll you're already well set to create the kind of creative environment that you need in order to do things in an innovative or entrepreneurial fashion. Absolutely. And and one of my favorite definitions of leadership is influence. Everyone has influence. I mean, I joke about my 19 month old son, he influences us to feed him and do, you know, play with him and everything. Yeah. My four year old uh, daughter it, runs the household. So exactly. She does. She's the queen there in your house. So, um, so I talk about that, that everybody is a leader. And if you think about that, you take ownership then. If you are a leader, you can have influence. And as you grow in your career, you have more influence. More people are influenced by you. So in that sense, everybody can tap into their own internal creativity and be an influencer and be a leader. And I think what you were also kind of hitting on, Michael, there was uh, when you talk about passion and be passionate. I love the story. Uh, I, I think it's true. I've never actually checked to see if it is true. But I heard a story that uh, when President Kennedy went to NASA, because, you know, he said that he had that amazing speech where he talked about we're going to send a man to the moon because we can. Um, He went to visit NASA and he ran into a guy in the hallway and said, what do you do here? And it was the guy said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And that man was actually the janitor. He was a janitor who cleans the floors, but he knew what his purpose was. He knew that I'm helping put a man on the moon by cleaning the floors here. And so I think if we can all bring that to our job, that passion that you were mentioning, um, that raises our overall consciousness uh, as, as individuals and as a society of 
you know, if, whether I'm cleaning floors or whether I'm doing the math to put a man on the moon, we're all part of a, a broader cause that's going to advance our society and help raise the collective consciousness and awareness of our entire nation. And from an organizational perspective, whenever I go out and I talk to a new group and I'm talking to them usually about branding, one of the very first things that I hit on is kind of what you just touched on. You have to make sure that you've got a clear, very clear goal, mission, and story. You know, you, you've got to let everybody in your organization know, look, this is the problem that we're trying to solve, and this is what we're going to do to solve it. Because then everybody does feel like they're part of the same thing. Uh, you know, that janitor there does feel like, hey, I am helping put a man on the moon. He wasn't hired to sweep floors. He was hired as a team to do this amazing, wonderful big right. picture goal. And you see that all over the place. Amazon, for example, is one of my favorite examples. What Jeff Bezos did with Amazon from the very beginning, he said, we wanted to be the most customer centric business on the planet. And that lets you know exactly what you're doing, whether you're a delivery driver or you're a software engineer in that company. Um, yeah. So Absolutely. that to me seems like such a key part of being a conscious leader. Yeah. And also, you know, getting back to the whole creativity in the workplace, if you tell someone your job is to put a man on the moon, but you're hired specifically for this role to be a janitor or whatever it is, customer service at Amazon, but you're going to be a customer centric organization. If someone is thinking about the outcome, the purpose, why are we doing this? That opens them to be creative and then go to their boss and say, I know I'm the janitor, but what if we did it this way? And that would help us get to the moon faster. I think instead of just saying here, here's a mop, go clean the floors, make sure they're clean. You're helping put a man on the moon that framework opens up, um, invites everybody to be creative. It's kind of like, what was the, in the, in the movie, good will hunting, the guy was the janitor, but he was doing all the, like, like the, the math equations on the board at night. Yep. And everyone's like, what's going on? Like we need people like that, that even though you're the janitor, you're amazing. Like you, you can, you have creativity. Everybody has something they can contribute beyond maybe that specific role that they're doing. Yeah. And it, actually NASA is such a good example because they really did cultivate that that attitude within the organization. I mean, I was, I was a big history buff, so I used to love reading about the, the space race and everything else. And they had that attitude where it didn't matter who brought the idea to them. Uh, you know, their, their basic mantra was problem solving and we're going to solve one problem at a time. And whoever can solve that problem, we're going to listen to you. So they had examples of people who were hired to be an engineer on some little minor part of the space program. And then suddenly they looked at things and said, well, you know what, we can solve this problem if we do this. Um, and cultivating that that environment is is fantastic. So and that's, I, that's conscious leadership. That is yeah. that is not just like I know the answers. I'm the boss. It's inviting. There's this saying that I use often with clients. What if everyone you met was both your student and your teacher? And so if you think about it, you can teach someone something, but everyone can teach you something. Every single person that you meet, and if you have that mentality, you're confident because you're a teacher, but you're also humble because you're a student. And so what if we all embrace that mindset, imagine the creativity that can unleash, and that is very much a concept of conscious leadership. And that will create such a big difference, not only in your uh, professional life, but even in your personal and, you know, when something I always talk about in your political relationships, um, if you approach everybody that you talk to with, okay, I might, I might have my area of expertise, but I'm going to assume that they know something that I don't, or they know more than I don't. And if you approach everybody, even the people who are supposedly, quote unquote, below you on that hierarchy with that same attitude, you'd be surprised at how much you can actually learn. This is, Absolutely. yeah. Um, and I also think that having that attitude means no matter what the future of work looks like for much of us, uh, you're going to be able to cultivate the right attitude to actually succeed and innovate in that environment. So, Absolutely. 
Well, I've mentioned how this is going to be important as the nature of work changes. And, and what I really mean by that, yes, I do mean work from home and, and what have you. But if you look at things, the, the way that we just culturally kind of looked at work for the last 100 plus years hasn't really changed until very recently. And, and some of that was the lockdowns and the fact that when COVID-19 showed up, all these governments said, hey, everybody has to work from home all of a sudden, and that's hugely disruptive. But we aren't really back to normal. People got a taste of it. And they discovered, hey, I like this freedom of working from home. I like having a better balance of work and life. And as a consequence, what people are expecting from a lot of jobs, especially kind of in the knowledge-based uh, industries, is something very different than what we have had. And I think that conscious leadership really is going to play in very well when it comes to that kind of evolving work environment that that you know, companies like Twitter, for example, are, are kind of struggling with. And people are trying to get a grip on, hey, what is work going to look like moving forward? And how does that impact us as leaders or entrepreneurs or even just workers? Yeah, well, I'm hoping that as things shift, it'll actually become easier and more acceptable. Because as I said, I think a lot of people say, oh, that sounds very touchy-feely, new age. Like, I don't want to bring We're that to We're going to go to a retreat what? with, you know, trust falls or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, 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 they think, okay, what is the ROI on that? Um, but if you think about it, I actually you said something really interesting a minute ago when you were talking about creativity in the workplace. And I think the old systems that we had actually stifled a lot of creativity. So in other words, if you're kind of, like you said, um, maybe someone who's like lower on the totem pole in a hierarchical structure in, in a workplace, you do what you're told. And if you don't do things a certain way, um, maybe you're told, hey, that's not the right way to do it. And so I think with conscious leadership, it's going to change the way we structure organizations. So maybe they might not be quite as hierarchical. Uh, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of holacracy, which is more of like a democratic egalitarian approach to organization structure. Um, but I think as we we increase our conscious leadership, we're going to look at everyone around us and say, what is your contribution? What's your creative outlet? Like, where do you want to, like sometimes uh, even having someone who works in IT, like maybe have them work with a marketing team for a week. And what is their, what are their crazy ideas for marketing? You're having the marketing team go over and say, hey, IT, why are you structuring things this way? Um, so I think we can tap into more of the creativity of all of our teams by not just siloing people, but really tapping into that and seeing like giving people an, a chance to try different things within an organization. A lot of that does still seem to be pretty difficult um, because people, most of work, if you are still working remote, most of your work is Zoom meetings, Slack messages, and email. And it's really hard to do that where, hey, let me just walk over to the marketing department, see what they're doing. So that way I can create a better product on my end. Um, how do people get around that right now. I, I think that's going to take a lot of creativity as we're moving forward, especially with folks like Elon Musk, for example, saying, hey, we should do less remote work. People should start coming back into the office. Um, how how do you see us balancing that as we move forward? Yeah, such a great question. And I, I understand where Elon's coming from because there are some things that we miss. Let's just be frank about it. Like there are things, there are benefits to remote work and there, there are disadvantages as well. So I understand his, where he's coming from, but I think the thing that he's missing is like you said, that, that water cooler, that creativity, when you walk by someone and start having those conversations and there are higher levels of trust when you're able to do that as well. So when you're able to have those one-off conversations with people and we have to intentionally create that now, and it can feel a little fake in the beginning when you're having to intentionally say, Hey, Michael, I have this idea. I want to run it by you. It's easier to do that when you just see each other in the break room. Whereas if I text you and say, hey, can I have 15 minutes to run something by you? 
that might not feel a little bit weirder, but I think we're going to have to be much more intentional about it. And it's almost like we're learning a new way of working that we just haven't had in the past. And so we're advancing as the technology advances. And I'm excited to see where it's going to go because I think it's going to mean more freedom and opportunity for people. But there are some disadvantages that we are going to have to overcome. And I don't have all the answers, but I think we can tap into our collective creativity and figure out, and someone's going to figure out some really cool things and start teaching other people. This is how my team does that. In fact, some companies even have a head of remote now or where they actually go out and say, how do we build a good remote team? So I think we're just in the the building stage of this. And so we don't have all the answers, but we're going to figure this out. And I don't think we're going to lose anything. We might for a little while, but I think once people have more freedom and remote or hybrid work, their creativity is actually going to expand. So I go back and forth on this a little bit, and I'm not sure if the way that work is changing is a consequence of the technology that we now have in our life. And I mean, I, I was always surprised we did not go more toward remote work pre-COVID uh, because we had all these tools available to us. I mean, it was easier than ever to do remote work. Um, I, I don't know if it's a consequence of that or quite frankly, and I hate to pick on millennials because apparently I'm now considered part of the millennial crowd because I was born in the <laughs> early 80s, which doesn't make sense to me. And that's a different conversation. But you do have kind of this generational shift where people say, look, I want a lot more balance between going to work and working at home um, and and just having the rest of my life out there, going out there and doing hiking or taking trips or what have you. Um, I'm sure it's a combination between the two, but which one do you think is playing a bigger influence on it? Because you have folks who look at the millennials and let's face it, millennials have a bad reputation for some good reasons. People are saying, well, a lot of folks today just don't want to work as much. Yeah. And I, I wonder, there's different perspectives on this, but I wonder if it's almost kind of like a course correction where pre-pandemic people were working way over the hours they're being paid for, or they're being asked to do things and then not seeing any type of like promotion or bonus or anything like that. And it was almost like, you got to pay your dues. This was the mentality, like pay your dues, work hard, hustle culture. And when people were forced to take that pause during the pandemic and they couldn't go do all the extracurricular activities they were used to doing, it was like, I'm stuck at home. I think they did a lot of reflection and thought, is this the life that I want to lead? Like when I get to the end of my life and I look back, am I going to be happy that I was working 60, 80 hours a week? Or am I going to say, no, 40 hours is enough. And I also want to enjoy, I want to go on picnics with my family or go bowling or whatever it is they enjoy doing. So maybe it was a course correction in the sense that maybe we were a little bit of out of balance before. And people realized that the ROI personally just wasn't there for them. And so they're saying, I actually want to live a happy life. I want to work, live and be happy having that balance. And not just be working to kill myself to, you know, buy an extra car or something like that. And I actually saw an interesting article the other day that said people are now measuring wealth, not necessarily by your net worth, but by actually the fulfillment that you get out of life. So how many friends do you have? What are your social connections? So I think there has been a shift and the workplace needs to catch up to that, this mindset shift with the public. And I was encouraged during the pandemic. It, it was obviously a very, very disruptive moment in just our culture and economy and everything else. But something that surprised me at first until I really started to think about it was the huge rise in entrepreneurship uh, during the COVID shutdown. You saw a lot of people take that as an opportunity to go out there, start a business. I mean, I'm, I'm one of them. I went out there and started my business during that, that whole fiasco. And uh, it was encouraging to me. And then suddenly it made sense why. I said, well, we were all stuck at home and people were saying, if I'm at home anyway, you know, now's the opportunity. Whereas before we were as you say, working 60, 70, 80 hours, and I don't have time for a side hustle when I'm doing that. 
I think I'm hoping that that is an attitude that goes well beyond just the entrepreneurs, because something that I have talked with a lot of folks, especially in kind of my creative space, which does include a lot of branding and marketing, and you have to be very deliberate about creating a, a creative culture just in your own life. And I think that type of entrepreneurship that we saw during COVID, if people are applying that to even your work with another company or something, that's going to bode really well for providing that kind of value that you were talking about to that company without having to work 80 plus hours. Um, is that something that maybe we should we should be talking to some of these folks like Elon Musk, for example, and saying, rather than focusing on people showing up at a particular place, working a certain number of hours, let's really focus on here's the end product that they are able to give us. Here's that creativity, that innovation, that that value add to the company. Absolutely. No, I, I totally, totally think that's the case because I actually was talking to a CEO one time about his organization. He was about to hire somebody, the organization. He said, oh, they need to be in-house. They need to be in the state. We have to have them here. And I said, why? And he said, well, I want to know that I want to see them. I want to know that they're, they're working. And I said, well, first of all, if you're hiring someone you don't think they're actually going to do the work. That is not a culture fit. You don't want to hire the person. So first of all, let's think about that. You want people who are motivated, who are passionate about what you're doing, whether you're whether you're selling Teslas or whether you're working in public policy or whatever it is, you want them passionate about what they're doing. It doesn't mean it needs to be their life calling, but they need to be invested in it and really excited about their role and what they get out of it. And they, they, people need to feel like there's a cause, a purpose to their work. Uh, even if you're building cars, it's, you know, the motto of Tesla, I think, is getting the world energy independent or something like that. I forgot the exact motto, but that you need to get people excited about that. And so the other thing too, that I think you just touched on was, I think we're going to see a shift in how we structure work in the sense that it was, it was actually the Ford company that moved us to a 40 hour work week because Henry Ford saw that his employees productivity dropped off after that. So if you made them work any more than 40 hours a week, they just weren't as, as productive. So he was the one that put the cap on that. And it was actually codified by Congress because they saw the benefits and they wanted to protect workers. I think moving forward, and this is always what I encourage leaders and managers to do is set very clear outcomes for your team and your individuals, your, your individual contributors. Um, not about the 40 hour work week. It's about every week I want this done. Every month I want this done. At the end of the year, I want this done. And then you stay on track. How's that going? What do you need to get this done? Uh, what's getting in your way of getting that done? So that way you're not measuring how long they're sitting at their computer. You're measuring the outcomes. And if you don't have that limitation of sitting at your desk for 40 hours a week, who knows the creativity that could unleash for people. They could exceed your expectations because it's about the outcomes and the purpose of the organization and meeting that purpose, as opposed to here's how many hours you're supposed to sit there and work. Well, and one of the things that I hit on a lot on my Substack is this idea of kind of self-scrutiny. Uh, always scrutinize your ideas, your ideas, more than you're scrutinizing other people's ideas. And I kind of think of conscious leadership, and I think what's going to be really important as work continues to evolve is for organizations and leaders to take that same attitude, uh, to to really kind of look at themselves and say, well, wait a minute, are we giving ourselves the opportunity for our people to flourish as much as, as they are? And again, it's it's... I look at it as leadership and and individuals who, even if you're just a solopreneur, taking this attitude of how do I infect others with entrepreneurship? How do I infect others with creativity? How do I get the people that I work with or or who technically work under me to really have the passion to reach their full potential? 
Well, I think, again, it comes back to the conscious leadership idea. Uh, conscious leadership is about unleashing people and their innate abilities and, and really looking at your team and investing in them as individuals and not just it's we're moving. So the conscious leadership is moving from the authoritarian hierarchical structure of whatever's set at the top kind of moves down the chain. And obviously that system still works really well. Like in the military, we probably need a hierarchical structure, right? That you need something like that in certain systems. And so certain organizations are going to stick with that model. But I think for the organizations that want to be more innovative and creative, which you're very interested in and, and talk about on your Substack, I think if we want to foster that, we do need to move to a model where we do, we ask people to say, hey, come to me with your great ideas. If you see a problem, come to me with your solution. Um, you know, if you're going to complain about something, have some solutions or some plans of what can we do that's an alternative. So I do think we are going to move into a model, but the leadership at the top has to be okay with relinquishing some of that control. And I think some of them are still struggling with that because, hey, this is the way I grew up. This is, I had to pay my dues. This is the way we do it. And the less control you have, that can be hard for a leader, but when you let go of that control and you actually trust your people and you say, show me what you got, like, let's, let's figure this out. And it's going to be messy, but let's figure it out. You're going to, it's going to, as you know, creativity can be a messy process, but you can come up with some really cool stuff as a result. Well, and some of this is definitely a cultural shift. I think that would have happened anyway. I mean, I, I like to rag on my own generation uh, quite a bit and, and certainly the generations that came after me. Um, it's like, you know, young people today just don't want to work. Millennials just don't want to work. Nobody wants to work 40 hours a week. And some of that reputation might be well-deserved. But regardless, uh, it is certainly impacting organizations and, and businesses and entrepreneurs and leaders and kind of forcing them to think about things a little bit differently and think about how they quantify uh, what they expect from employees or how they how they outline what they expect from employees. And it's kind of forcing a lot of businesses to make changes that I think otherwise they wouldn't really want to. And that's something maybe Elon Musk is going to have to kind of learn the hard way. I mean, right now it's easy for him to find people that will show up to the Twitter headquarters because there are enough people in San Francisco that want that job. But that's not going to be the case for a lot of people who might have smaller shops starting up their own business or or smaller teams. It's something that you're just you're going to find a bigger pool of talent if you look outside of your immediate area. And if you trust that talent more, you're going to see really kind of amazing results as as a consequence. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was really interesting about what what Elon said, uh, I'm saying Elon like I know him personally, but I know. Right, right. <laughs> He, his, his plan is like not far from where I live here in Austin, Texas. Um, but, but the thing I found really interesting when he, I think he did an interview where he talked about this and he said, well, it's not fair that knowledge workers get to stay at home and my guys have to come in and put cars together here, but it's a different career. It really is. And if you want to have more liberty and more freedom, then you are going to have to choose and think about it. When you think about your career, what do I want to do? Do I want, and so, by the way, some people really do need that. They need to go to an office. They like that structure. They like the camaraderie. Um, I can sit here at home and work for a long time. My husband needs to go out and be around people. So we're just different, right? So some people do need that. And I think that's, again, you need to be conscious. You need to be aware of your work style. What do you do best? And you make that choice. I didn't really agree with how he, his, his logic behind wanting people back in the office, because you get to choose what kind of career you have. And maybe one of those people that comes into the office one day says, you know what, I'm going to change careers become a knowledge worker because I want to go live in a different state and do something different and not be in office. So I thought it was really interesting. That was his reasoning. And I, I see where he's coming from, but I don't think it, 
I don't think that is the best reason to justify going into it or mandating office time. Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, you know, let's, let's be fair. If you are a plumber, it's going to be really hard for you to work remotely. Um, I'm certainly not going to hire you. I'll tell you that. But I, I do think about something that Mike Rowe once said, he said, um, Oh, how did he put it? He said, you don't always follow your passions, but always make sure that you bring your passion with you. And this is something I think that kind of ties into conscious leadership. No matter what your work is, even if you're working remote or if you're back in the office or if you're some sort of a day laborer and you have to actually show up and do manual labor every single day for you know, 8, 12 hours or what have you, whatever it is, you do have you do have passion and you have the ability to bring that passion with you and you have the ability to be creative and you have the ability to be entrepreneurial and say, how can we do this better? How can, how can I achieve the bigger goal, so to speak? And I think it's the job of a leader to say, look, I'm going to help you nurture that passion, that creativity, and that desire to reach a bigger goal. Maybe that part of that is articulating what that bigger goal is. You know, we're, we're trying to reach the moon. We're going to land on the moon. Here's your broom. Go ahead and start sweeping the floor so that way we can land on the moon. Um, but, but I love the idea, and I think that it's something that people really do need to think more about, especially in the knowledge-based industries where people are starting to work from home more, and people are starting to expect different things from work. They want a better work-life balance. They don't want to show up to an office for 40 hours a week. They want to have more flexible hours, more flexible time off, so that way they can go to their kids' dance recital and not worry about taking PTO or something. And uh, I think it's something that people do really need to think about. And it's going to be interesting to see how how the future of work evolves for much of our economy here in the United States. Meredith, uh, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about what you do, about your uh, leadership coaching and your Substack, where can they go? Yeah. So my website is meredithturney.com and there's a link there. You can click on that and it'll take you, but I, I think my substack is meredithturney.substack.com. Uh, so you can check that out. And it's just a weekly newsletter. I send out every Tuesday morning with, uh, I, co- I cover a few different things, conscious leadership, um, how to build a strong team and the future of work. So I kind of cover, honestly, it's kind of whatever I'm thinking about that week. It's something I've come across or maybe something came up in a coaching session but I always try to make it something that is thought provoking and also practical, like something, how do you improve your listening skills as a leader? Um, or, Hey, what is your new definition of wealth for workers? So there's always something interesting to write about because this is such a fast paced moving uh, topic. Now is the future of work and leadership. I mean, we are very much in a transition time right now. And what I like to talk about on my Substack is things are moving so fast. Leaders oftentimes don't know what to do. And so that's where my coaching comes in and I help coach them and their teams to co-create this future because we have such a golden moment right now, an inflection point in our society to change how we work and to really improve our leadership. Well, it's so easy for people to get bogged down in what I call bureaucratic stagnation. Just this idea of we've always done it this way, so it should always be done this way. And generally my view is, and it's not always true, but it's always a good way to approach things. If this is how we used to do it five years ago, I should be thinking about doing it a different way. Um, and you don't you're have gonna, to You're going to get pushed to do it differently eventually by society. Exactly. So exactly. Be, on the, so, be on the forefront of it and help co-create it. <laughs> yeah. You might as well be the one who's leading that innovation. So, exactly. um, well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate everybody's support here at Creative Discourse. Uh, I love doing some of this stuff, but I love more importantly that that there are people like you who enjoy exploring the kind of creative thinking that is necessary to actually have an impact in the world around us. 
And so if you're not already a subscriber for Creative Discourse, please sign up. You can get a free subscription, and we send out quite a bit of free stuff. Uh, you can also do a paid subscription, of course. You get a few extras. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, and thank you for supporting this work. I am Michael Schaus, and this has been the Creative Discourse Podcast. Discourse Podcast.